Is that a is that a known hymn to this congregation? Lauren, is that a known hymn here? Spend this week and work back over that song. There is some amazing truth that is framed in such a celebratory way. Now, the music, I know, is a bit dated and all that. Oh, Father, you are sovereign in all affairs of man. No powers of death or darkness can thwart your perfect plan. Now, listen here. All chance and change transcending. God transcends everything in this world that looks like a change that would make us nervous or looks like an event that's been left up to chance. That is not true. I chose this hymn because if we were to summarize the sermon today in song, it would be in that hymn that we just sang. So I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word to Ecclesiastes 8. As we continue to work through Ecclesiastes, I'm going to attempt to do all of chapter 8 today. What I want to do, though, in order to help set the context, is I'm going to begin reading in 729 and then read through 9-1. This is the perfect and pure, inspired word of the Lord. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Who is like the wise? Who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy upon him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him what will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity." Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, 
that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. I commend joy for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes sleep, uh, see sleep, then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot it out. But all this I laid to heart, examining, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are words that you inspired, that were delivered through the preacher, have been recorded for your church, and you have protected this record throughout the generations. But Lord, help us today not simply have confidence in the record of what is here, but more importantly, to have the faith to listen to you speak even today through them. And so speak to us and give us ears to hear and eyes to see and wills that are willing to trust you. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Wisdom. Solomon has been setting before us wisdom. Wisdom that helps us live in a cursed world. Wisdom that helps us live in a cursed world as those who still have the effects of the curse working within us. A cursed world in which our neighbor has the curse working within them. And the wisdom that he is providing us is not a wisdom of, here's how you overcome the curse. It is, here is how you navigate the curse. Looking to me, who will eventually do something about this curse. The call here is to fear God. To fear God. To pursue the smile of God over his frown. It is to pursue him as the most ultimate reality in a personal way as our triune God who is a God of love and who is a God of mercy, who is a God of grace. As my Sunday school class with the 10 to 14 year olds have been talking about, God wants relationship. And sin and curse will not keep him from getting what he wants. But when you and I come to faith the power of the curse is broken for us. 
and the penalty of the curse is completely wiped clean. But the presence of the curse is still here. And God doesn't, when he saves us in Jesus Christ, immediately take us up to heaven. He leaves us here, but he leaves us here as those who are indwelt by our Savior Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, where his word and where his sacrament are at work within us to nourish and strengthen us and by his grace empower us to walk the narrow way and to reveal God in the way that we respond to the curse. Now, what the reality is for us also is that in God's word, God has not told us everything. And he has not given us a, a set of, of conditions where he says, if you do X, Y, and Z, you can avoid the curse. In fact, the wisdom that he is providing here in, in Ecclesiastes is the kind of wisdom that is supposed to help precisely when the situation we're dealing with doesn't fit into a nice, neat, little black and white category. Some things that you and I experience in life are black and white. And when we have those experiences, there are black and white truths that are in the scripture to help us deal with those situations. But because of the curse, this world will never function according to the God's original design. And as a result, it is out of equilibrium. And so sometimes there are going to be black and white situations where there is black and white scripture to tell us, here's what you do. Here's what you don't do. A lot of life, though, is trying to walk on a ship that's in the midst of a storm, that's pitching 25 feet up and down and to the right and to the left and trying to figure out how do I keep my balance and how do I maintain myself in the midst of the chaos, where sometimes it might mean I need to hang on to a chain or another time it might mean that I need to hang on to this you know, bulkhead. We have to make decisions as we are going through life precisely because the curse is still present, the curse is still um, affecting things. And so the wisdom that Solomon has been giving us hundreds of years prior to the New Testament is what we could call the wisdom of the cross. Right? Prosperity is not always good. Adversity is not always bad. What seems to be the case isn't always what is. What does Peter in that sermon in the book of Acts say? What evil men intended as wicked, God used for good. This is the wisdom of the cross. It is a wisdom that is foolishness to the world. It is wisdom that is a stumbling block to those who think that life with God must always make sense 
and must always be good and must always exercise influence. Beloved, that's just not the case. And we have to figure out how to embody the grace and truth of Jesus Christ within these circumstances. What Solomon helps us with today is he builds on what we looked at last week with regards to the limitations of wisdom. Wisdom is wonderful, it is a blessing, but it has limits. It is limited because the world is still cursed. It is limited because you and I are still sinners. The problem with wisdom isn't wisdom, the problem with wisdom is us. Those who are trying to learn and to exercise and live according to what God is revealing, especially in those moments when it's not black and white. So he continues to build on this. Who is the wise one? Who who is the one that actually can interpret what is going on? And it's almost as if he begins with this rhetorical question that's meant to make us kind of sit back and go, yeah, who is there? But that's not what he does. He goes on to say, a man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. You see, the being out of balance in this world, as we have talked about so far, it can lead to frustration. It can lead to anxiety. It can lead us, back in chapter 5, it can lead us to become so anxious about things that we start to think that we know better than God. God, things shouldn't be this way. It should look like this. My life shouldn't be this way. My life should look like fill in the blank. And what he says is the sacrifice of a fool is the person who brings that anxiety to church and in church, instead of receiving from God, starts trying to tell God how things ought to go. Frustration, anxiety that can lead us to think we know better than God. Frustration and anxiety that can lead us to think to think that our relationships should function according to a perfectionism we looked at. Or frustration and anxiety that says, you know what, there's no point, let's just give up, and I'll just do whatever I want. Here in chapter 8, he gets very specific about some very real frustrations and things in life that don't make sense to us so that we will be protected from our tendency to be schemers. You and I, because of the fall, are naturally schemers. Let me put it another another way. You and I, because of the fall, tend to function as our own authority. That's what Adam and Eve did at the fall. And that's what we continue to do. We think we know better. We'll live, yes, according to God's truth, but when that truth makes sense to us. And when it doesn't make sense to us, what do we do? We call an audible. Right? Why? Well, because we're not really living according to God's authority. We're living according to ours. What Solomon wants us to to realize is this, this, this tendency towards scheming or living as our own authority is going to make your life impossible in a cursed world where things do not function the way that they're supposed to function. 
But even in the frustrations and the anxieties of powerlessness within a cursed world, wisdom here is described as being something that can lighten the countenance. Now, you know someone who's frustrated, right? Oh, all right. I'm available for marriage counseling this week. (laughs) By the way, you can see it in marriage counseling. I know exactly how things are going by the distance at which they sit together on the couch and and the amount of times they actually touch one another. You can tell because what's going on emotionally and what's going on spiritually gets reflected physically and bodily. In in our emotions class that we just finished, that's what we were talking about, that God designed us to function holistically. He didn't function, he didn't design us to be brains on sticks. He designed us in such a way that our minds, our wills, and our emotions are all functioning together. And so the the immaterial and the material part of you are, are connected. And when you're mad... It's clear. When you're frustrated, it's clear. When you're at peace, it's clear. Wisdom provides peace even in the midst of chaos. Now, but only within limits. What's the first frustration he tells us to watch out for? Well, he tells us to watch out for our natural tendency to be schemers when it comes to us relating to authority. He tells us quite clearly, keep the king's commands. All right, every American in here just shivered, right? Keep the king's command. Why? Because his word is authoritative. Who can question him? Who can go against him? And it's really not just who can question or who can go against. Anybody can question a king, right? Anybody can go against a king. Can you do it safely? Can you go against the king and escape war? No. Why? He's the king. Or she's the queen. Now this can be really frustrating. When you look at government, especially if you are someone who lives in a country that has a king or a queen that actually has authority. Because if something is not going right, can you do anything about it? No. And what's the temptation then? The temptation can be to fix it. The temptation can be to do what? He's not my president. And it's a little different with, the, with presidents, you know what I mean. When it comes to authority, when the authority is not doing what we think is right, or we think is best, or what we think is wise, or when we see the, the effects of the policies that they're putting into place, and it's clearly not going well, the temptation, especially for us as Americans, the temptation is to rise up, be our own authority, and rebel. But what does Solomon tell us? That is not going to go well. 
And that is not the way of wisdom. The way of wisdom, when it comes to relating to authority, and by the way, in, in the shorter and, shorter and larger catechisms, when you look at the question and answers regarding how, uh, how do we obey parents, right? It discusses how we relate to all authority, whether it's familial, whether it's governmental, whether it's ecclesiastical. How do you relate to authority? And what Solomon says is your predisposition is to be obedience. Your predisposition, your knee-jerk, intuitive way of relating to authority should be obedience. It should not be rebellion. Because if your predisposition is rebellion, you are going to remain frustrated. You're going to remain at odds. You're going to remain at war. So he says, your predisposition is to be obedient. Why? Well, for one, God is the one who put the king in place. And to go against the king is to go against God. God has made an oath. And so we obey not because there's anything inherently valuable in the king himself, but because God has put the king there. And if we're going to love God, we predispose uh, ourselves to obedience. We are to be quick to obey. The word of the, the king is there by God's oath. The word of the king is supreme. And it is really difficult, costly, and dangerous to challenge. What he's saying here is there should be a decorum for the believer when acting interacting with authority. Christy and I have been watching The Crown. And it was really funny at the beginning when Winston Churchill is, becomes prime minister again after being out of office for a while. And the queen, the newly, uh, the new queen, the young queen, you have this dynamic between this old, crusty, hardened, very skilled old man politician and this this young woman who is new to the to the throne as a queen and they instruct him how he is supposed to interact with her and it's hilarious you do this you don't do that you know you don't leave unless she dismisses you and if she does dismiss you you don't keep talking when you go to leave you don't turn around you don't turn your back to her you walk backwards until you leave the room. And there, there's this decorum that he was supposed to maintain. And then in the rest of the show, you see uh, how one prime minister to the next has to interact with, with this dynamic. That's what God is saying. There is a decorum. There, there, there are manners. There, there, there is winsomeness. There is respectfulness that is supposed to characterize the believer in relationship to authority. But what about when the king's wrong? Well, God says, don't be hasty to leave his presence. But there may come a time when you need to. 
And so he, he is, in, in telling us that our predisposition should be to quick obedience and respect, he is not saying total um, blind allegiance. You can disagree, but just don't be hasty to do so. You can separate yourself from the king, but don't be hasty to do so. Be slow to make that decision. Make sure, he says, that it's about an issue of righteousness and not preference. Don't take your stand on an evil thing. If you're going to take a stand, it needs to be on the grounds of righteousness. In the reform world, the way that we have discussed this is that we are to obey the government leaders or we are to obey authority over us regardless of if it's familial, ecclesiastical, or governmental, right? We are to obey that authority unless, one, the authority requires you to sin. If the authority says you need to do something that God has said, don't do that, then you don't obey the king. If the king says, stop doing this thing that God has said you are supposed to be doing, don't obey the king. You see this, by the way, in, in just a beautiful illustration um, that I think um, is not happenstance. If you were today, and I would encourage you to do this, read the first six chapters of Daniel this afternoon. And what you will find is this account of these four youths from Israel who were part of the royal class. And as such, when Babylon destroyed Jerusalem and were taking people into exile, they tended to take the most important. They took the royals. And they took the royals and then put them into their own royal court. And what you can find in those first six chapters is how does this royalty from Israel function within the, the royal courts of Nebuchadnezzar? And at first, things go really well, right? Daniel uh, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Winnebago are told that they're supposed to eat King Nebuchadnezzar's diet that he had established for his royal court. But it was contrary to the diet that they uh, believed they were supposed to eat because of what God had revealed in the Old Covenant law. And so you have this disagreement. And Daniel and his, and his, uh, uh, his friends, they stop eating the king's diet. And what happens is the person who is in charge of them comes to them and says, what are you doing? They explain it. And his response is, look, if you keep doing this, I'm going to lose my life. Now, what are they going to do? Are they going to put their own, their, their own perspective over the value of the life of this other person who is not in control but has a job to do? So what do they do? Well, they don't capitulate. 
They don't just say, oh, well, you've told us to eat this, so we'll eat it. But they also don't say, how dare you tell us to eat something other than what Yahweh has told us to eat, right? They don't do either of those. What they do is this. They say, all right, let's do this. Give us some time. Let us eat the diet that we believe is, is proper. And then assess things and see whether or not we are weaker or we are stronger. See, they were respectful to the authority. They were winsome in their interactions with the authority. They didn't just give in, and they also didn't just make demands. They reasoned. And he said, all right, we'll give it a shot. What happened? They were stronger. So how did they get rewarded? Well, ultimately, Daniel gets thrown in a den of lions, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Winnebago get thrown into a furnace of fire. Now, how do you explain that? They stood for God's truth. They did so in a winsome way. They did so in a respectful way. And guess what? It didn't get them power. It got them sentenced to death. You see, you can be wise, even according to what God has revealed, and it will not lead you to escape the curse. But yet Daniel and his friends did escape the curse, didn't they? Was Daniel eaten by the lions? Were his friends eaten by the flames? No. There was something that transcended the curse, that transcended life under the sun, that transcended even the limitations of wisdom, as God would provide a supernatural provision in order to keep them safe through the curse and in being kept safe through the curse would come out the other side passing from what was looked like certain death into life and that is because the greater wisdom that is at work that God has been revealing from the very beginning is not simply the wisdom that you and I can attempt to, to learn from God and scratch out in our imperfect way, but wisdom itself would become personified in the life of the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. Where in his wisdom, he came into this world and he did not fight the powers that be. He didn't come and fight. He didn't come and establish war. He wasn't disrespectful. He didn't come in and try to overthrow things. He entrusted himself to his father, knowing that he was entrusting himself in the midst of wicked men who once they got him in their hands would do wicked things. Beloved, you and I are not in man's hands. We are in God's. And what this leads us to do is to manifest 
the life of our Savior Jesus Christ in being respectful towards authority, even authority that is evil, even authority that is hurting people, even authority that is not wise. We entrust ourselves to the Father and we stand for truth and we bear witness to that truth in respectful, winsome decorum that doesn't make demands and doesn't disregard in rebellion, but entrusts ourselves to the Father that just as our Savior entrusted himself to his Father and he manifested like Daniel and his friends, he manifested the truth of God, he spoke truth to power, and even though it led to his death, beloved, his death is what leads us safely through the curse. And just as his death ended in resurrection, you and I in Christ have been raised so that we don't have to transcend the curse. We have already passed safely through it. What we are waiting for is the fullness of what we already have in Christ to be revealed. And so until that day comes, realize that in dealing with authority, you don't have to get frustrated and mad and angry and try to take over or give up and just completely disengage. You can engage in a faithfulness that winsomely promotes the truth, leaving the results to God because you know that you're not in man's hands no matter what things may look like in this life. You are in the Father's hands. You are in Christ's hands. And no one can snatch you out of their hands. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, This is such a temptation for us as schemers, but also as those who have the blessings of living in America, the blessings of of Lex Rex, that in America the law is king, and that we have constitutional documents that are supposed to promote the good and supposed to dissuade the bad. But the reality is, Lord, things don't work out the way that they're supposed to because the world is cursed. And so protect us from this natural tendency to scheme our way out from underneath the curse and instead to realize by faith more and more that we have already passed through the curse when we were crucified with Christ and that being raised with him, we are now those who are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And there is nothing in this world, there is nothing in the residual leftovers of the curse that can change that. And so, Lord, may that lead us to the confidence that we need to be patient and to be humble and to be winsome as we embody the truth and grace of Jesus Christ to a world that is broken and needs it desperately. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.